This episode of Plateau Partners Pulse is brought to you by Dingfelder's Delicatessen. I am joined today by Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen and Nourish Catering. Such an incredible man that he has two businesses. To feed people. Right. So... I've already said your name and I've already said your business name, but go ahead and say it in your own voice. I am Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen and Nourish Catering. Yes, you are. Tell me about your business. Well, uh, which one? Both of them? Well, chicken came before the egg, so. So Nourish Catering? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you for that, by the way. And we are soul sisters. You better believe that. Always. Nourish Catering how that came to be. I've been catering literally my entire life. From the time I was a young man, young boy, we used to have family barbecues. I was seven and eight years old and I would start cooking for everybody, the hamburgers and the hot dogs. And I grew up in a restaurant as a young boy. And that restaurant was called Jan's Ice Cream Parlor, which ironically was a pretty famous place. Yeah. Uh, on the East Coast. There was about five or six of them. It was a franchise. My father owned one of them. It wasn't a big one. And that's where I grew up, was in an old-fashioned ice cream parlor that made food. And when I was a young boy, I would bring, you know, I was the, I was the kid in home ec. I was the, the boy in home ec, and it was all girls. And I was the best at slicing onions. <laughs> so, you know, cooking right? Has always been my thing. It's, it's my love language, frankly. And what I get back from it, the fact that people really enjoy it. If people aren't saying how good it is and how wonderful and, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm looking to understand why it's not. And to hear that feedback from people fills my emotional bucket. So it's about nourishing people how that came to be was over the years, I you know, I was a cab driver in New York. You know, I grew up in the restaurant business. My parents lost that business when they got divorced. I wound up moving into Brooklyn with my grandparents. I, I went to work cooking in the busiest Greek diner in Brooklyn when I was 17. And then I started driving my grandfather's cab at night in the city and did that for a while, and then black car. But I always cooked. I would always have jobs cooking, always in New York or Jersey or wherever I lived. I would always do that, you know, side hustle, making some cash, cooking. And then I came to Seattle and uh, sold. Actually, I got a job. My first job in Seattle was with uh, the Yankee Diners because because no. Tom Singleton paid the most money. So. Um, uh, then when the way Nourish came to be was I sold for a company called U.S. Food Service and Food Services of America uh, to a lot of restaurants downtown Seattle, from Issaquah, North Bend, the I-90 corridor, Bellevue. And I sold to country clubs and the Bellevue Club and the Pro Sports Club and hotels in the city and some of the best restaurants in the city. And then that ended and I went to work at the Pro Sports Club. And I became the GM of food and beverage there after I did the 2020 program. And after about five years, that ended. And here I am. I need a job. And I was at a Shabbat service. Okay. And the rabbi comes up to me and he goes, you know, hey, Pip and Miriam are going to slow down. And Pip and Miriam was the temple caterer from Matzah Mamas. Hey. <laughs> That's amazing. And he said, you know, you should consider being the temple caterer. And I looked over at him and I said, if God wants me to be the temple caterer, I'm going to be the temple caterer. At that point, I had um, friends of mine, Neil and Denise, and their son was going to be bar mitzvah, Noah. And they asked if I would cook for the, for the bar mitzvah. And that was a few months before this transition was going on. And I said to them that, uh, absolutely, it'll be my gift. You know, you give me what it costs and I'll do it. And then Karineri, 
who actually introduced me to BNI, Ooh. had an event booked, which was the Issaquah Football High School Boosters oh, yeah. fundraiser at the uh, Kinzer's house. Mm-hmm. And those were the two things that I was booked to do. The executive director of the temple came to me and said, hey, uh, you know, the, the kitchen in Bellevue, nobody's really using it. Um, would you like to use it and do some catering events for the temple? And if you want to do some catering on your own, we'll, we'll work something out. And that's how Nourish Catering started. And the way I came up with the name Nourish was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. And he said to me, you know, Vance, you nourish people. And that's what you do. You nourish their soul. You nourish their stomach and their minds. And that's how I came up with Nourish Catering. And the tagline for Nourish Catering was um, foods for everybody, meaning any dietary restriction. And my business model at the time was uh, custom menus for whatever your budget is. Mm-hmm. And that's how Nourish Catering got started. That's amazing. And you do, and I I think your tagline so serves what you do and your mentality of nourishing everybody. Hmm. And obviously from the standpoint of dietary restrictions, from a healthy standpoint, if people are wanting that or whatever it is that they need, but you bring so much to your food. I I had a cookie business for a while. And when I started getting to a point where I was done with it, and I felt like this idea that I was adding an ingredient of bitterness to the fact that I had to, you know, make cookies on weekends and that kind of thing, I really believe that your mentality about what you create for people, it can add ingredients that are not good. And so when I started to notice that I was resenting the fact that I did this, I'm like, I'm very good at this, but this is not what I meant to do. And you are very good at this, but it is what you are meant to do because you don't have that. You, that is, as you say, it's your love language. Yeah. You know, um, at this point in my life to be able to acknowledge that this is what I was supposed to do, I feel blessed that I get to do it. Then, you know, on a more intellectual level as well, just thinking about it and and how you create the food and how you cook it. I just thought I was a good cook, right? I I could cook. (laughs) I thought everybody could cook. No. (laughs) No. Everybody can cook. Everybody can. Everybody can cook. Not everyone can cook well. There you go. So, and then Nourish Catering, then you went from there to now you have Dingfelder's Delicatessen, which is a Jewish delicatessen that is in Seattle and the premier delicatessen that's in Seattle. I mean, I'm biased, but not really. That's okay. I want to be the best delicatessen in the country. But, I mean. <laughs> that's what I want to be known for. I mean, I have heard it from people that have said that have had, you know, Food in New York, which, you know, that's always like Katz's is like that. Katz's was my favorite and, and, before it became a thing. And that's like the yardstick. Yeah, the gold and standard those by, of us, by far. Right. And those of us that have been there are like, oh, yeah, like you're there. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. And um, that's the, like I said, Katz's is the gold standard. Yet there are a lot of delicatessens in New York still to this day that are phenomenal, that have been there for just as long. Even though Katz's is 125 years, my grandfather took me to Katz's when I was a little kid. I used to go into Brooklyn when I was not in school. My my parents would drop me off at grandma and grandpa's and my grandfather drove a taxi and he would take me in the cab on a Saturday or a Sunday when he would quote, go, go make bagel money. Mm-hmm. He would take a few fares and he would drive me through the, the car wash. It was the monster car wash, right? And you drove through it and you'd sit in the car. Every car wash that I used to go to as a kid, you had to get out and walk through while your car got washed. But no, where they washed the taxi cabs, you just rolled through the car wash. And then he would take me to Katz's. And my earliest recollection of Katz's Delicatessen was my grandfather teaching me 
how to order a sandwich at Katz's. Which is a thing. Oh, you see, now you, you it's a thing. And, you know, they have these cups on the counter with probably $100 in singles and fives and tens sticking out right. of this cup. No, there were no cups. And the way my grandfather taught me how to order, I must have been eight, nine years old, because I got to do the changer in the cab. <laughs> he said, this is how you order. You get a corned beef and pastrami on club with mustard. If you want a little coleslaw, that's fine. He goes, but don't forget to tell him to make it juicy and you give him a 50 cent tip and you hand the guy 50 cents and he'll make you a really fat sandwich. And I said, what's juicy? Oh, uh, yeah. He, he goes, leave a little fat on it. Because the fat's where the flavor is. Fat is where it's at, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's helped me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so that's, where that's Katz's, a life lesson, so by the way. So that's Katz's, you know, 50 years ago. And, you know, it wasn't always the behemoth that social media has created and it's become. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you had 25 delis to choose from. And now I think there's about six or eight in the city area. Uh, and when, when I grew up, there was one in every neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It was either a kosher delicatessen or a Jewish delicatessen. And so that was my gold standard. It was Russ and Daughters for appetizing. Wow. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Okay. That was my thing. Bagels and appetizing. It was Jonas Schimmel's Knishes. Don't know that one. It's down the street. They're all on Houston Street. Okay. Okay. All on the Lower East Side. Now, Mrs. Stoll's Knishes was in Brighton Beach. And they were the best Knishes, in my opinion, better than Jonas Schimmel. Jonas Schimmel's about 125 years old. Wow. Russ and Daughter's also about 125 years old. Now, there's people that have other favorites throughout the city, but those were my favorites. And that's where I felt you could get the goods, the best of the best. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm trying to create in Dingfelder's. And to have those three places under one roof with a little bakery kind of in there. And, you, you know, you used to go to a bakery when I was a young kid and you get Linzer tarts, right? And black and whites, of course, and different types of, you know, Jewish bakery. Mm -hmm. And delis on the West Coast seem to have that. I want to be able to offer that as well. So I started doing delicatessen in Seattle in about 2000. Okay. And we did it at Temple de Hearst Sinai. It was Larry Broder and I. He was the executive director at the time. And I had gone to uh, the auction, the annual auction. Of the temple? At the temple. Okay. It's a fundraiser. And I was, at that time, you know, I had two young children. We weren't making as much money. I, I barely could afford the tickets to get into the, yet alone get auction. Sure, sure. You know, I couldn't, I, you know, and there were things being auctioned that I really wanted. So I said to the executive director a couple weeks later, I said, hey, why don't we do something for regular people? <laughs> right, right, like that's all great and everything, right? but like. You know, they, and then they can buy things and actually feel like they're contributing. And he said, what do you have in mind? And I said, let's do a deli night. And. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, we'll get deli shipped in. I'll cook it. And we'll do a deli night. And at, people don't know like, like what like deli is. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I just feel like people don't get that. There's, it's a, it's a <laughs> Well, thing. deli, you know, it's funny. You use the word deli. The deli is a delicatessen. And that's different. Like it's called Katz's Delicatessen. Mm -hmm. A deli can be a German deli, an Italian deli, an, uh, an Irish deli, mm -hmm. very ethnic in New York. Yes. You can get all different types of deli and each one has different types of things. But a delicatessen, that's a derivative of Yiddish, which is an Eastern European uh, slang dialect that came about during World War II. Or World War One, actually, but delicatessen 
is kind of a German word for eating delicacies. The word for eating is Essen and delicacies. So it's kind of a combination. But so when you say deli, right? The deli or deli night, you know, but deli night became a thing. We had about 80 people show up. And we had egg creams and knishes and cheesecake and it was, you know, people doing magic and we kind of went through it. The following year, the temple would do this thing called the pillars of the community, the Amudim. And that was, you know, people that would donate higher dollars to the synagogue. They went to the executive director and said, I'll pay for the Amudim dinner, which was at the time they used to do it at Camless for many, many years. Not cheap. Right. And it was about 100 people or 50 50 people. It was an intimate thing. And it was a cool event. They would say, I'll give you the money for that. Because at that time, we didn't have delicatessen here. You couldn't get smoked whitefish. You couldn't get really good pastrami, New York style pastrami, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, You couldn't get delicatessen food the way that people want it, the way they remember it. How they remember when they were young or when they would go to their grandmothers and their grandmother would cook it, they couldn't get it. So it became so popular in the temple. They were paying for the Amudim, but going to Delhi Night. Delhi Night replaced the auction. Corporations underwrote Delhi Night. And? And it became a thing where we would have a comedian. And we did it for about 15 to 17 years. Wow. Then uh, Dingfelders came to be, and then COVID. (laughs) What was interesting and how Dingfelders came to be was a very good friend of mine, God rest her soul, Michelle Sloan. She said, you need to open up a delicatessen in this city. And I said to her, I don't have the money to open a delicatessen. She said, there's people here that'll help you. You need to do it. Not only did she tell me to do that when I was like reluctant and knew better, because it's a tough business. I mean, yeah. The thing that she really convinced me to do, Michelle, Mm -hmm. she convinced me to name it Dingfelders. Which is really, I mean, it's putting your name out there with all of these other places. It's setting down roots. it's, It's owning it. Oh, it, it it was really a brilliant thing. It's very, you know, it's a Jewish name, Dingfelders. It's the name I grew up with. It's my heritage. There's a lot to it. It's about my family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've ever grown up with a, a difficult name that has three syllables and over 10 letters, it's not the best experience. You know, you say Dingfelder, people go, what? Well, she goes, no, 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 no. You got to name it Dingfelders. That was a brilliant. So, and so she convinced me of that. And she she is really the reason that I <laughs> that I went through with this. <laughs> I mean, it makes the most sense and it has a melodic sound to it. And really what you're recreating is not just the tastes of your childhood and those experiences, but you are looking to recreate the sense of community, your heritage with your Jewish background, the memories of uh, multi-generational experiences and memories, those tastes. I mean- It's about, it's about the blessing, actually. Mm-hmm. It's about creating foods that people remember from a different time in their lives, and it brings them right back to that. It's comforting. It's nourishing. It has the secret ingredient. Is that like in the movie City Slickers when he's like, it's that one thing? It's that one thing. And then he doesn't tell you what it is. No, I'll tell you what it is. What is it? It's love. I knew what the answer was. Because you're a love ninja. (laughs) Love ninja. You attack no, with love. It, it's 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 honest, honestly, and it's not it's not a secret. It's just not easy to do. Yeah, to consciously put the love into the food, and to teach that to people. And it and I I learned it from great chefs watching them. I heard that comment. Okay, and it hit home for me, mm-hmm. and always have. 
And all it requires is you to consciously think about that while you're preparing it, Mm -hmm. having a respect for the food that you prepare because it's going to nourish someone. Mm -hmm. It's going to love somebody. And if you care about the food that you're preparing as much as you should, Mm -hmm. it will do what your intentions are. And it's a communion and a connection with the people that you're serving. The community part, that's, that's really the blessing. The fact that I am, as a result of the catering company and of Dingfelders, you're nourishing people. You are comforting them. You're essentially loving them in times of joy and celebration, as well as in times of sorrow and grief. You know, it's a 50th anniversary. It's a bar or a bat mitzvah. It's a baby naming. It's a wedding. It's those occasions that are truly how you interact with the community. Mm-hmm. And especially now, having people um, be so grateful that we have stayed open. We've been able to stay open and keep everybody employed throughout this whole time. Mm-hmm. And through a lot of grace. And it didn't just happen. No, it didn't just happen. It's pretty fortunate. And you've been a part of it. <laughs> well, you know, big fan. Um, BNI, actually. Oh, BNI has been a huge part. I mean, we all love you. We love your food. We love what you do. And so BNI has really risen up and really tried to support. We do it for everyone, but you nourish all of us. And so it's been a really easy thing to do. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. Born and raised in New York, Van Stingfelder was taught by his grandmothers how to make incredible food using only the freshest ingredients. Vance has been in and around the food service industry his entire life. And now he has brought his experience, recipes, and desire to share love through food to the Pacific Northwest. Located at 1318 East Pine Street in Seattle, Dingfelder's Delicatessen offers delicious, classic Jewish delicatessen made with the same love as Vance's grandmother's. You can check out the menu and order online at dingfelders.com. Welcome back to Plateau Partners Pulse. I am sitting here with Vance Dingfelder of Nourish Catering and Dingfelder's Delicatessen. And he has been sharing with us this incredible gift that he has of his, yes, his talents of cooking and all of that. I mean, he's unparalleled in his ability to make amazing food. It's the women. <laughs> you laugh. It's the women. It's the, what, what part of it? All the Well, my dad owned the restaurant, but it's the women. It's my great-grandmother, Nona yeah. Bihar, who used to make Sephardic food. It's my grandmother, Anna her daughter, that was a phenomenal cook. It's my other grandmother, Sophie, who was also Eastern European. My father's side was Sephardic, and my mother's side was Ashkenazi. That's called an Ashkafard. (laughs) That's a thing. So it's the women. I love cooking with old women. I will tell you that I learned how to make sauce or gravy. Sure. From Aunt Marie, grandmother. Okay. So his grandparents were Salvatore and Vincenzo Longo. And one of the best gifts that I got was I wanted to learn how to make. I mean, you know, I'm like a like Catholic wasp. You're a really good cook. I am I am able. I am able. And she I wanted to learn how to make sauce. And so I spent a day with Graham and we made sauce and I learned, you know, about the the garlic and I learned about the onion and you got to start with the onion and you can't do too long with the garlic and you have to have the halo of oil. And I learned about like, you know, all the different tomatoes and all these things. And then we had to go watch soap operas. The techniques is what you learn. Well, and the techniques, and then we had to go watch her shows. Exactly, because they never miss the shows. Well, and, you know, you got to let stuff <laughs> take its time and stop trying to rush things. Bingo. That's and, the key. And and that's what I'm hearing you talking about is that cooking is, 
it is a language of love. It's a language of service. It's a language of communication. It's slowed down. It's process and it's embracing it. The process is is really what it's about. And, and knowing the techniques, we make egg salad at Dingfelder's. It has four ingredients. Yeah, but I mean, it's... It's, right? It's so good. That egg salad comes from Jan's. The tuna salad comes from Jan's. I've tweaked it only in technique. That's it. The only changes I've made. But people go, your egg salad is amazing, blah, blah. It's four ingredients. That's it. So it's, it is about technique. And you were talking about the old women, Graham, teaching yeah. you how to do gravy. My friends from Brooklyn, Andy, his aunt, Marie, and his mother, Italian women. Mm-hmm. Aunt Marie, she used to do the seven fishes dinner for, for, Christmas for, Eve. for Christmas Eve. That's what we do. And I used to, so being I'm the token Jew, my best friend growing up, Peter Figueredo, I used to spend Christmas with his family. I used to love spending, we'd go to midnight mass. We'd oh. go sing carols. Christmas was very cool thing for well, me. Yeah. So Aunt Marie, for Christmas Day, made a roast pork loin. And Aunt Marie was a phenomenal cook. She'd go to Italy. She'd go all over. She was an amazing chef. And she can teach anybody how to cook. Well, she made this pork loin. And, and, and the way she made it, she cooked it in milk. Okay. It's an Italian thing. And I never forgot that. Okay, I've cooked my pork loin in milk. Oh my God. I, I like ask God for forgiveness because it's so not kosher. Okay. It's like <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. And Rosh Hashanah. I, and and I haven't cooked that in the deli. I'm putting that out there in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, or yes, for forgiveness at Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because you made it. She made applesauce with this pork loin. And I'm gonna tell you, I ate that applesauce. And I was like, what is going on with this applesauce for the pork loin? Sure. And the pork loin was was braised in cream with fennel and rosemary and garlic, peppercorn. It was amazing on its own. And I must have been, I don't know, 19 or 20 at the time. And I said, Aunt Marie, did you put horseradish in this applesauce? And she looked at me, and from that day on, we had it. Because I pegged the horseradish in the applesauce, and it was just so a hint, and it was brilliant. And I do it to this day. Really? In my brisket gravy, I grate horseradish into the brisket gravy. And the brisket gravy is so perfect because that brisket gravy- That's what that is. (laughs) Okay, that brisket gravy is just the drippings and the vegetables in the pan, and we blitz it. And that's it. And it turns it into a thick gravy, and I grate horseradish in it, and it's seasoned perfectly. A game that I used to play with my kids for Thanksgiving was if I didn't have to season the gravy, I succeeded. Aunt Marie put horseradish in the applesauce, subconsciously, you recognize the flavor, Mm -hmm. but you don't expect it, and it goes with pork. Fascinating. And that's the thing that I think, I mean, cooking, there are books about this. There's research about this, about the metaphors that it is in life and, you know, the language that it speaks and this whole idea of it's these simple ingredients that people overcomplicate things. I mean, I worked at Williams-Sonoma for a few years and, you know, it was during the heyday of like pesto and roasted garlic. And it was like, here, here's a roasted garlic cooker. And it was like a special thing and, you know, whatever. And it's like, just stick the damn garlic in a pan and cook it and you don't need to overcomplicate. Absolutely. And and I so agree with you when that, when you say that, because people... I use the term bastardize it. Okay. Mm-hmm. They try to do too much to it instead of allowing it to be. When I, I sold, I used to sell to Canlis and the chef at the time was Rocky Taguchi. I used to learn a lot of information from all the chefs throughout this city that were super talented. 
that I sold to. We had a commonality. Mm-hmm. And that was probably why they bought from me. But Rocky taught me something. It was with Copper River Salmon. Mm. And I bought this, you know, Copper River. I, you know, this was back in 95. Was it still being helicoptered in? Well, it, that was the whole thing. It was, it was this whole thing about, I'm like, what is this? And I remember seeing it at Larry's Market, this big deal about Copper River Salmon. I'm like, what is it? And it looked really good. So I I bought a piece of Copper River King Salmon, like a big three-pound center cut piece. It was gorgeous. And I seasoned it and put tarragon on the top of it and smoked it with cherry wood. And it was amazing. And Rocky said to me, what the hell are you doing? He goes, why would you do that? You're changing the flavor. To a piece of Copper River salmon that is so perfect in its own right that the only thing you should ever do to it is salt and pepper. And ever since then, that's what I did. And you appreciate the flavor of what it is. You enhance it. Now, balance is very important. There's Mm -hmm. the five points of balance and flavors and types and different things. Also, food science matters. But what I'm talking about is how people try to get over creative and complicate the food rather than just allowing it to be. Yeah. Well, and like I said, that's like a life lesson right there, right? Well, you know, that, that was just, you know, so those are little tidbits that you pick up mm-hmm. along the way. You know, yes, I think in terms of how foods go together, I know how things taste and flavors, and I know I can tell by the way things smell if they're right. You know, how it's cooking, when it's done, I can smell it. Garlic, things that you're cooking, onions, and, and, and what you said about taking the time not rushing it, having the patience the way you would as a parent with a child, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or a puppy or a a kitten. Mm -hmm. You know, the puppy chews on the leg. Puppies chew. Right. (laughs) Having patience, right? So if you have patience with the food or whatever it is that you're cooking, it's going to come out better. And I'm still convinced that that lesson that Graham taught me in making that sauce gravy, that her going and watching her shows <laughs> and not fawning over that sauce mm-hmm. and not, you know, that whole like uh, wash pot, pot never boils, pot. right? Yeah. And not fawning over it and fussing over it and micromanaging it and going and watching to find out like what the hell's happening with Luke and Laura and, you know, like whatever else her shows were that she watched. Um, I mean, there was like a lesson there and I have never really been able to make sauce like she did because I've never been able to be equally, uh, separate myself and present at the same time. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's lessons so, there. So I call things grandma because they've got that umami. And I recently, four years ago, five years ago, experienced umami. Now, I know what umami is with a brisket or barbecue. Mm -hmm. It's that special flavor where you know it's cooked just right. You can get it in a burrito, right, with proper, you know, carne cooked Mm -hmm. properly Mm -hmm. or adobo. In every culture, there's a flavor that you can tell it was slowly roasted. It took its time. And the flavors evolved and became more complex and had a depth to it that only came over a period of time. It happens with short ribs, right? If you braise short ribs for a long period of time, if you smoke a pork shoulder for 14 hours at 200 degrees, slowly it's going to eat like butter. So, you know, I agree with you. Taking the time is really what Graham did. Mm-hmm. And that's the lesson she was teaching you, you know? Um, and they, you know, that's, that's why I love cooking with older, old women. <laughs> because <laughs> they will teach you things. You will pick up something from them. 
I'm doing a cooking class this Sunday. Uh, Are you taking it or are you No, I'm it? doing it. A Zoom cooking class. That's so cool. And it's for, it's a temple thing. So I'm doing borekas. Oh. And my great grandmother, when I, she used to make borekas and my grandmother would make borekas and I used to watch them and I would never forget my great grandmother's hands. Doing that. Well, she, she had, she had this skin. She was Turkish and had like a, a Latin olive colored skin. She'd get really tan in the, in the summer. She lived at Long Beach and I used used to go to the beach with her. She, in fact, that's where I learned to go to the beach was with her and my other grandmother. And the sandwiches were a big deal on the beach because you'd go wash your hands and you had to come back to the blanket and sit down Without putting your hands like down, you can't touch anything. <laughs> get sand on your hands, well, which is, and if you did, you had to go back and do right, it again, and start all over again, right? And that was her. But when she would cook, the food has oil, and her hands would be oily, glisten, and they would glisten, and the pores of her hand, and her nail, and her fingers—that was grandma. That was grandma, right? This was Nona. And those are the people, your nonna, your tante, right? Your aunt. Gigi is actually what Pete's grandmother was called. Like I called her Graham, but they called her Gigi. So those traditions are really the basis of my cooking in the recipes. And then over the years of cooking with other people and learning from other chefs and reading, you add your own repertoire. Mm-hmm. Like to the cheesecake. Oh, no, the cheesecake. The cheesecake is 75 years old. Cindy Colantoni's aunt, my neighbor. I lived in a basement apartment and Cindy lived upstairs. I was 17 when I moved into that apartment. And her aunt's cheesecake recipe was the best cheesecake recipe I have ever eaten. And that's the basis of my cheesecake. You know, I tweaked a few things. Mm hmm. You know, the crust is mine and I like a, I like a thick crust mm-hmm. and I played with the cake, but you know, I call it the better than New York, New York cheesecake that we're working on trademarking right now. Yeah. Cause New York cheesecake is a thing. I mean, and typically there's a little citrus in it. Mm-hmm. There's a little bite in it yep. and there's vanilla in it. Mm-hmm. So there's that, you know. That vanilla essence, and it is, you can stick a fork in it and, and it, it stands up. Stands up. You know and- what I like it? I love it when it's, if you let it sit at room temperature for about a half an hour, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting. Oh, I'm like, <laughs> what happens? It's gone. Well, I used to, you know, I still do. You know, I'll, I'll pass out samples of cheesecake to people. I've been on the receiving one, end. One of the, one of the one of the best things at the deli is when somebody is on their way home from work and they stop and they just get a piece of cheesecake and I'm like, that's it, that's all you want, a piece of cheese. Yeah, that's all, just a piece of cheesecake. And you know that like it's not going to make it home. It's coveted. It's a coveted thing, mm-hmm. and that I'm able to create that. I'm hoping it's an institution in Seattle. I'm hoping it says established 2018. And long after I'm gone, it stays. It's still there. And and I think that there's a good chance that that could happen because again, it's not just about the food; it's about the tradition and it's about the the community that you're creating. And you've always been that way. It's a gift. Thank you. I try. I don't think I always have been that way, consciously, right? I realize at least I've catered events since I was young, 18, we'd, we'd do parties for 200 people and I did the food and people always liked it. The community thing, that really happened later. And realizing that, how that, the connection between us and how it really nourishes you, it's a gift that you give to someone. Mm-hmm. Right. And the fact that the fact that people keep coming back and that I could build a successful business around that, that's a blessing. Well, it's 
authentic and people crave, <laughs> crave authenticity, whether it's in food, whether it's in your personality, whatever it is. And people really want that. People want to to feel that, to taste that. And they feel it and they taste it in the environment that you create and the food that you create. And so, you know, that's a powerful thing. I mean, you're talking about bringing down memories, um, eliciting responses. I mean, the whole thing. Sure. And, you know, food is a love language and all of those things are a love language. And it, it makes a huge difference to have all of that connected. And, I, you know, I'm like, every time you talk about, every time you talk about the food, I'm like, <laughs> go on, go on, go on. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> You're like, I mean. I, right? you know, I used to, you know, <laughs> cook for, cook for people. I've always cooked for people. And you don't realize it when you're, you know, but I've always felt that people like to be cooked for and, f you know, fed good food experience that whole thing. It's your siren song. Like it's <laughs> your, you know, like, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I always, you know, I have, I, I'm guilty. I have romanced people with food, well, I mean, but you know, you don't realize then I didn't. Now it's interesting how it's evolved. Sure. You know, I mean, I was dating and when you date and you know, you I'll cook for you. You don't think about how special it is. Right. Like I'm wooing you. Right. Like, let me show you what I got. But now when I give you a piece of cheesecake, I'm going, you know, first one's on the house. Right. Exactly. Well, now it's a whole strategy. Well, and I love to sample. I love sampling. Sampling too. is important. Well, I, you know, people come, I tell, I tell, I tell our team that people come to be fed and feed them. Sample them. Sample anything that somebody wants to taste. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were the first time guest at Dingfelder's, you got a sample of grandma. Grandma is our, our chicken soup. Mm -hmm. We call her grandma. Why? Because she loves you from the inside out. Mm -hmm. So you got a sample of grandma. And I would say to the staff, watch the reaction. If they don't go, oh my God, that was amazing. That's the reaction you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And 95% of the time, that would be the reaction that you get. And that is actually why they're coming. Mm -hmm. They're coming to be fed. They want to taste things. Now, people have in their head what they want. Right. You want to just feed them. Whatever they want, give it to them, right? Let them be fed. Let them come and be nourished. Let them come and be loved. And and the thing is, you know, it's great that the food is good, but when you're also nourishing people and feeding them with the experience and the love and being seen, the fact that, you know, they're going in and they're being seen and you're like, oh, let me do this, that shapes your taste buds as well. I mean, that gets you salivating to like, oh, somebody is offering me this and I get to try it and that's an experience. I mean, if I'm if I'm working a counter, that's what I mean. You'd go to Katz's, you'd get a taste of pastrami, they, right? They oh, like, oh here, here you go, right? You go to a delicatessen. Here, try tray. this. Like, and get the first be, cut, and that's just what you do at a delicatessen. Right. I cannot wait to build the delicatessen. Me neither. Because uh, you know we'll serve egg creams and we'll have, you know, it'll feel like a delicatessen. Now it tastes like a delicatessen. It's a Seattle, New York delicatessen. It's got the vibe, you know, the the funkiness. Mm -hmm. But there, you know, if it, I I hope that we get to see it come to fruition. We will. I'm confident. I am too. Let's take another quick break. I am chatting with Van Stingfelder of Nourish Catering and Dingfelder's Delicatessen. He is making me salivate and I need to take a sip of water. And uh, then when we come back, we will talk about a few other things before we have to wrap up. Corporate events, weddings, bar and bat mitzvahs, dinner parties, no event is too big or small. Van Stingfelder, owner of Nourish Catering, understands that events are more than just about the food. 
they are about creating shared community. Vance and his Nourish Catering team help by catering to you and your guests. They offer fresh, delicious, chef-curated and prepared menus so you can create your event your way. To learn more about how Nourish Catering can partner with you on your next event, go to nourishcatering.com. Welcome back to Plateau Partners Pulse. I am having the longest, most enjoyable speed round with Van Stingfelder ever. We, I think, have made it through three questions. <laughs> so that's because I overcompensate. Uh, <laughs> I might I put little into my food. Like a Jewish man. I can't shut up. <laughs> Just not. So I'm gonna ask you a couple quick questions. Let's like go. how long have you been in BNI? I've been in BNI three years. Okay. What do you most appreciate about BNI in general? The thing that I appreciate about BNI in general is the fact that I'm a natural salesperson and I love connecting people. I really enjoy the fact that I work with many successful professional people that I can learn from and at the same time be an advocate for, as well as the benefit that my business has had from the referrals and business people have given me. It's not just about the business and the return that you're getting for your time. It's more than that. It's about learning about the people, mm-hmm. learning about how they work and who they are. And if they meet your standards, mm-hmm. you refer them because that's what it's about. You do the same thing. I service people to the best of my ability, and I haven't served everybody so well. I've had people that I have messed up with mm-hmm. that have forgiven me and worked with me. Mm-hmm and allowed me to perfect what I do and get better. And B&I, at the end of the day, has made me a better business owner. I find it incredibly humbling when people trust me and refer me, either Mm -hmm. for themselves or to other people. It's a humbling experience to have somebody say, I am willing to put myself on the line by introducing you to Somebody. Yes. Oh, I feel I feel compelled to take care of a referral that somebody has given me and make sure that they get the best experience possible. And I am as professional in how I follow up and the, how the quotes that I – I personally take what we say, that oath, very seriously. I refer to it as the um – Vow renewal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. So what do you like about our chapter specifically? (laughs) Better not mess this up. What I like about our chapter specifically are are the members. (laughs) I, I love our chapter. I love the fact that we are open enough and accepting of each other, no matter what. And we have each other's backs. We will take care of each other. And that's, that's really what I cherish about the Plateau Partners, mm-hmm. that we're the best. And we've continued to evolve. Absolutely. It's, it's really incredible. In the three years, how it's, you know, in the leadership's teams and even you from from how you began to how you've ended is amazing amazing and i'm thrilled to be a part of something that you have led you've made it fun you pivoted better than me and i pivoted they learned from you and i'm sure i'm sure well, they did I- I appreciate that. And I, one of the things that I like is that I feel like we're like the bad news bears. Mm-hmm. Like, really? yeah. I mean, we're like a team with heart. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll go there. And so that's what I mean by that. Not like the fact there were a bunch of F-ups. Like, that's not it. It's that, you know, we all are individual athletes that when you come together as a team and you support each other, it may look like it's a mess out there, but it's a mess with heart. And at the end of the day, like, somebody's going to catch the damn ball. You know, I think that we put our stuff aside Mm -hmm. and we consider the greater good. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no I in team. <laughs> the words like, know, and trust are words that we bandy about in BNI all the time, along with giver's gain. So if you had to pick three words that described you or your business, what would they be? Passionate, trustworthy, integral. I like those. I'm going to add my own. I always add my own. I don't know. You know, I mean, I was thinking honor and those types of things. Love, of course, that's the number one thing. I really think that that's important. I think it's the secret ingredient to really put that out. To good people, to good food, to good businesses, all of those things. Right. Um, what else? I was going to add seasoned. Seasoned. Oh, I like seasoned. Salt and pepper. Just I'm and- a big fan. Of, so my salt is a very special salt. It's not just salt. Of course, it's not just salt. It's a it's a special salt. Salt of the earth. Oh, it's salt that you know. It's it's sodium, and it comes from you know the earth. The earth. <laughs> but it's not it's your not, everyday it's not salt. Morton. It's very expensive salt. Really, I think salt is important. So, salt is it brings out the the flavor yes. and everything else. It, it it's and, very important. My daughter, Grace, was surprised when I put salt in a salad. Why? Right. She's a terrible cook. Okay. Why would you say that about your Grace? <laughs> she is a terrible cook. <laughs> and there are people that are terrible cooks. And they you just, know why? They just don't have the awareness, just, the awareness. And, and yeah. that's what it is. She, like... Yes, she likes to eat and all of those. Like, she really is actually a connoisseur. She really enjoys eating, but she is not interested in that. When we were talking about the whole process of cooking and all of those things, Mm -hmm. she has neither the patience nor the interest nor the attention span or any of it. And she will do well with a partner that will be that yang to her yang. She will be a very happy recipient of someone else's amazing cooking. And she'll appreciate it and she'll get it. But, you know, her idea of a kitchen is a phone. She makes reservations. I mean. It's okay. She's hoping to live in New York. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. She'll use the kitchen for clothing space. (laughs) (laughs) Which is important. She does like salt. Actually, her thing is she likes to take uh, good raw ground beef and add a little bit of salt and eat it. Mm-hmm. When I was a young kid, I used to make the, the burgers in the kitchen. We used to take a 10-pound bag, and they used to call it chop meat, <laughs> ground beef. Right. And they, were, they would come in 10-pound bags, and we would make four, they were just under five ounces burger. So you'd get 30 meatballs, and they were the original that you'd cook, the, they were cooked on a griddle like a flat top mm-hmm. that you cook pancakes. And mm-hmm. in every diner, that's what you, they cooked on, a flat top. And you got eggs and omelets and grilled cheeses and, and hamburgers. Everything was done on the flat top. So I used to roll the burgers very young. And I used, you know, the flavor of ground beef was great. Steak tartare. Yep. I worked in my friend's father's butcher shop when I was about 15. And that's where I learned how that steak raw is actually tastes the same way cooked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I was like, it's, wow. It's almost just like a texture thing. Yes, but well, you know, there's things that happen when you cook it, how you caramelize it, how the, you know, but that's all stuff on the outside and on the inside. I've always been fascinated about what cooking does to the flavor of the food. Now, granted, when I was young, even in my early 20s, sushi, I couldn't begin to eat sushi, but I would eat pickled herring and lox because that's what I grew up on. Sure. But the thought of eating raw fish really at when I was in my early twenties was like, 
uh, no way. Right. And then as I got older, I went on a shrimp boat and ate a shrimp right out of the water just to see what it would taste like before it got cooked. And, and just interesting. And I've always been intrigued by that. What cooking does to the texture of protein and vegetables, things like that. Right. Where does it enhance? Where does it detract? You know, what, what happens to the flavor? You know, I, I, you know, you, you chew it, you taste it, you don't just eat it. Right. And, and I, there are times when I just eat French fries. <laughs> you know, I'm not always trying to analyze what the food is. Right. right. But there are a lot of times when I'm really trying to figure out what it tastes like. So another um, metaphor then for mm-hmm. life is when heat gets added to your life and you're under pressure, you're under heat, you're cooked. Mm-hmm. How much does it change who you are? I mean, these are deep thoughts. Um, I've been practicing a lot. I know. That's another word that I would actually associate with you is um, evolved. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would, I mean, 100%. From when I first came to BNI. No, just, even, you know, you're, you're, you know, if there's such thing as past lives, this is not your first time around the planet. I'm, uh, I'm I, I don't know. No, if, I do. If that's accurate, but I'll take it. Uh, thank you. That's a compliment. It, it, it I know? mean, and I, I, I mean it. When I, you know, I, I have done a lot of work on myself, emotionally, physically, personally, in my growth, who I am as a human being. You know, how does it change me when I'm cooked? <laughs> I actually feel good when I'm cooked. <laughs> I can recognize that I am tired, but I've done a good job. I've succeeded in accomplishing what I needed to accomplish. I need rest. And I give that. Cooked, I'm in tune enough with myself to give myself what you need. You know, cooked? <laughs> That's a great question. And I would argue that you're somebody that has, uh, with your experiences, it has uh, seared the outside, but you have always remained. Juicy and flavorful on the inside. <laughs> Look at you. Right? I mean. Juicy and flavorful. That's I'm just saying. That's like, that's really a compliment. And I appreciate that. And, you know, juicy and flavorful on the inside. How could anybody not want to be described like that? I mean, <laughs> we're having a moment. Um, a little bit. Kind yeah. of. So. Um, I wonder if they can hear it. Can they tell? Oh, I think it's palatable. it's the heavy breathing (laughs) tell me something that people don't know about you wow something that people don't know about me I can tell people something that they don't know about you oh really in our BNI group or just in overall I I think in the BNI group but Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, yeah. Do people know that you drove a taxi? I, a lot of people. People in BNI, for sure. I drove a taxi in New York from five at night to five in the morning when I was 18 years old and did it from 1979 to 1992. Now, in 1984, Four. So for five years, I drove a yellow. Okay. Checker cap? I, I never drove a checker. My grandfather had a checker when I was a kid, uh, and he loved that car. By the way, there's different types of taxis, and so there's yeah. a checker cab and a yellow cab. And no, the, the checker was yellow. They're it all, is. In Manhattan, but, they're all but yellow. But it's like the- But there's different types of cars. Yes. And the checker was a special- I mean, it fell apart. It rattled it. But it had what was called jump seats. So four people could sit in the back and one in the front. It could take five passengers. It had a trunk. It was designed as a livery vehicle. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty special. I, 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 you know, I always felt that they were boxy looking and they rattled and made a lot of noise. When I, when I started driving a cab, it was a Peugeot 505. <laughs> Way. Yeah, it was. That was the first one. And then it was uh and then after that in nineteen eighty they we bought a Chevy Impala. 
And then um, it was a two-way radio. So yeah, I drove a cab five at night to five in the morning at 18. And then, in fact, that's where I met Stephanie, was I picked up Stephanie at the Waldorf Astoria and took her to Kennedy Airport. Wow, you made an impression. Yeah. Where there was a lot of traffic. I was late actually picking her up. Shocking. You late? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I had my honeymoon night at the Waldorf and we had brunch the next morning at the Waldorf Astoria at Peacock Alley. You know what? The Waldorf has a special place. We went back actually on, I think it was our 20th, something like that. Yeah. I, I had a moment where I had this, you know, it's my honeymoon. It's the next morning. It happened to be the day of the Puerto Rican Day Parade. And we were flying out to Europe later that day. And I'm there and I'm like, look at all of this food. Look at the fountains like and September the truffles 15th? and uh, June 13th. That was before the summer. Yeah, Love June the Puerto 14th. Rican Parade. Oh, the Puerto Rican Day Parade. It's amazing. Oh, the I mean, food was incredible. Oh, I mean, and like the like all of it. And I'm there at the Waldorf Astoria, and I remember like you know the truffles were like a plenty. I mean, it was like going blueberry picking with truffles. And I take all these truffles, and I go into the bathroom, and I'm like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> It's like I'm never going to eat again. I was like Lucy in the episode where I'm like hiding chocolates everywhere. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I slapped myself upside the head and popped a truffle in my mouth, the rest of the trash, and composed myself and went back to brunch. (laughs) (laughs) My grandmother used to steal sugar packets, sugar caddies, salt and pepper shakers, ashtrays. I love her because I will tell you that my Red Robin seasoning, stolen, my salt and pepper shakers. It was so embarrassing. Oh, salt and pepper shakers? She put it in her purse. Uh, Okay. The whole thing. The whole caddy. Okay. That's kind of a lot. Last two weeks ago when we were back east, my mother-in-law ordered sake and she got these really cool little glasses. And over the course of the meal, when I realized that she was going to bring the bottle of sake home with her, I took the four glasses. You heard it here, folks. Right yeah, here. Come and get me. This is the first. Yeah, because they're going to be Stephanie, paying attention to this. Stephanie. Stacy's a klepto. Oh, <laughs> actually. Yep. You just said it out loud. That's all. What else? Okay. Let's go. So. Speed round. What? <laughs> three hours later. What is your most frequently asked question? Are you married? (laughs) (laughs) My most frequently asked question, are you from New York? Hmm. That happens a lot. No, it's good. That was, that's, people ask me that a lot. Do I hear an accent? Do I, you know, where are you from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The last question, Mm -hmm. what's your favorite curse word? I mean, there's really no better word. Are you kidding me? I mean. Get the out of here. You're nuts. I nuts. <laughs> I mean, how versatile is a, that word? You are a Okay. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, it's good. It's a good word. It is a very good word. It's probably, yeah, that's my yeah go-to. Okay. Let's say people want to try a knish, try a little whitefish. How can people find you? Where is Dingfelder's Delicatessen? Oh, come on. Dingfelders.com. That's how they find me. I am at 14th and East Pine Street in Capitol Hill. I'm really proud of that website that we just put up. We worked hard at it. Magnus Media did the media. And what's so amazing, it's such a great BNI story because my business coach, who came from a referral, from Cindy. Cindy saw this person do a continuing education webinar Mm -hmm. and said she was really special. Didn't remember her name and emailed me or texted me a picture of her. And I interviewed several business coaches Mm -hmm. and hired her she referred me, and she was she's a BNI chapter for 25 years. She referred me to Ethan Gordon in Massachusetts, 
because she's in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ethan Gordon is the media person of a BNI group that she used to be in, that she coached him. And he, I, I interviewed him, got a quote from him. He did my website. Kai Fu mm-hmm. from our chapter did the media. We collaborated on the two. And Dingfelder's website went up and running on Sunday. And it's a game changer for my business. That's awesome. And that's BNI. That's the power right of BNI. Right there. That was BNI. So how to get a hold of me? Dingfelders.com. Email me to eat at dingfelders.com. I don't know if any of you know this, but EAT was what Eli Zabar had in his first store on Madison Avenue. It said eat in red letters. That's where I got eat at Dingfelders. I figured if it was good enough for Eli Zabar, it's good enough for me. And of course, 206-403-1365. That's how you get a hold of Dingfelders. Nourish, nourishcatering.com. If you want something special that's a little more artisan, Dingfelders does catering for all occasions. So does Nourish, just a little more high end. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I love you from the bottom of my heart. I'm happy to say that you are my friend and I know you. And the person that you are is amazing. And thank you. Thank you. I mean, guys, (laughs) who's not crying right now? I'm not crying. You're crying. Oh, you're not. (laughs) It's a little love fest. It is. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Plateau Partners Pulse. Special thanks to Vance Dingfelder for making me hungry and for sponsoring this episode of Plateau Partners Pulse. To learn more, go to dingfelders.com.